0: Adrian, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: That's quite all right. Lovely to be here.
0: Um, this is going to be the last interview in the series that I've been doing. Um, and it's an honour and a pleasure to be interviewing you, my husband, Artistic Director of Hot Buckle Productions. So Adrian, um, can you tell us what Hot Buckle is all about? Uh, what you do within Hot Buckle, um, and how you got to where you are.
1: Well, Hot Buckle was originally formed by um, my wife and myself, I don't know whether you know Gemma at all, Uh, to um, actually enable her to get back into the acting game, um, having been teaching while um, bringing up our very young children, as they were at the time. So we started a company in 2006, And then uh, we did a a sort of a couple of things. We did a TIE show and then we did a community theatre show. And then we did some more adult theatre. Not blue, so to speak, but adult theatre. Two pieces, uh, Ballad of a Bird and Joshua. And then Gemma decided she was quite bored of being in the office with me when we weren't doing these shows and she would like to go and run a theatre, please. So she went and did that, leaving me holding Hot Buckle, the Hot Buckle Baby, um, somewhat at a loss. But nevertheless, uh, I turned to our good friend, Fiona, uh, who'd worked on a couple of the shows with us. And she stepped into Gemma's role as the person that organised all the tour bookings. Um, And we together uh, started doing uh, adaptations of classic stories um my adaptations so they didn't have to pay any rights um and we've gone from strength to strength with that and so what we do is we do sort of stripped down versions of those we do sort of four handers four or five handers depending on the budget and very little set uh we do fairly traditional sort of costumes um and we play our own music which again i or the i and the company write so again we have no overheads that aren't caused directly by ourselves. And um, we do that and we've, done, we've gone from, from strength to strength with that really over the years. We have quite a sort of a good big following. Uh, we go to theatres from anything from large scale, sort of number one theatres down to tiny art centres. So we're very adaptable um, and it's a very enjoyable way of life.
0: And so how has COVID-19 affected you?
1: Well, we we were about to embark on our spring tour, which is the second tour. We do two tours each year of the same show, one in the autumn, one in the spring. Uh, we were about to embark on the spring tour of Tess, and we decided by March the 19th that was probably not going to happen, so we had to cancel it. Uh, swiftly followed by all the theatres saying we're having to cancel your coming in anyway, so we were the right, it was the right thing to do. Um, so the impact was, well, that was the spring tour completely gone so that was that all that income completely gone we thought well we'll pick things up in the autumn and strangely that didn't happen either so we're now hoping hoping that we will be able to tour next spring but it was a fairly devastating blow COVID because obviously I mean it's been devastating for everybody for a variety of reasons for us it meant no nothing of what I do I I adapt plays I direct them I write music I act in them um, and I tour them. I haven't been able to do any of that. So I've done a lot of work around the house.
0: On a, um, so on a professional level, the, the work has completely dried up for you in terms of a touring theatre company. Um, what support have you had, therefore, from the government?
1: Well, um, basically, when we went into lockdown, Gemma, my wife, I don't know if you know her, um, had recently resigned her post at a, um, a sort of arts centre stroke community centre in Maidley um, and so I was out of work and to keep, help keep Gemma safe safe because there are nasty people out there help keep her sane I um, suggested that she return to the fold of Hot Buckle and uh, request some funding uh, put in an application to the Arts Council, which she did, and against all the odds, she only gone and bleed and done it. We 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 got some funding, some quite significant funding, which basically has uh, enabled us to to survive and probably you know hopefully therefore have a future when things ret- return to more normality.
0: So, what was the what was the funding for specifically?
1: Well, Gemma, it's interesting that you ask. The funding was specifically. Uh, because you have to tick a lot of boxes and um, ask, answer a lot of questions. And it was basically to do with how you would develop your company during this time of COVID that would also be of benefit once COVID is over for your company, therefore, to develop and, and move further on with this idea, not just something you did during lockdown or during COVID, but something that would go beyond that and be of use to the company and the community in general so uh we decided between us that i would um basically re-record all my adaptations that i've done over the last 10 years all the classic ones um as podcasts stroke radio plays with the original casts which um i would then put out on the website and on a podcast website um with with the possibility of that being a a sort of another branch of income But also um, something that is, you know, it's just part of the, what we do every year. So we will do a play. We will we will adapt a, a classic story. We will tour it. We will also record it, and we will also put it online, both as a video format and as a as a radio format. Um, and we have started doing that, and we're about a third of the way through. But it's taking a lot longer, and it's a lot more, uh, a lot harder to do than I had anticipated. And I'm learning all the time about what is beneficial and what is not beneficial in terms of recording on separate tracks, on uh, multiple tracks, or on individual tracks, or on one track, and how to edit. And uh, it's yes, it's it's uh, quite laborious, but um, nevertheless, the output at the end is is worthwhile.
0: And uh, so that
1: provided no income at all.
0: No. So I think this is the interesting thing. So the, the 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 money from uh, the Arts Council was, yes, to, to create a project. So we came up with a proposal of a project that would um, keep us working, keep employing actors and give us some sustainability potentially for the future in terms of buying, you know, specific equipment that can cope with this kind of editing, etc. But there was also an aspect of that um, fundraising, wasn't there, just as a kind of an emergency sort of loss of earnings from the
1: yes i mean probably 50 percent of it was also loss of earnings from one if not two tours certainly at the time it was one tour but now it's looking like it's hoping we're hoping it'll cover the two tours loss but it won't but i mean it'll keep us going during the second loss
0: so um a couple of questions here so first of all um that that money absolutely was a lifesaver wasn't it what what might have happened if we hadn't have got that money do you think
1: We would have gone, knew it. I knew we wouldn't get it, uh, like we always have done in the past whenever we've applied for funding and not got it. Um, And then we would have found another way of coping. Um, Just we would have adapted and do in our own way, as the government has told everybody to do anyway. But, I mean, we would have had to have survived, so we would have done. But it wouldn't have been quite so comfortable.
0: I think it's fair to say that a lot of people, when that first when the Arts Council announced these emergency bids, which was really early on. And I'm kind of applaud them for, for being so proactive in that sense. But what it also did was I think a lot of people kind of reacted, perhaps um, knee jerk reaction, um, rather than really taking time to think and research. I know that Emily Bolting at Riverhouse, one of her kind of regrets was that, that they, sort of very quickly put together a a bid for some videoing equipment and actually the equipment they got wasn't quite the right stuff you know so there was that sense I think of everyone just quickly thinking gosh what could we do how could we diversify I think
1: but I think that's inevitable because we didn't know how long it was going to last I mean they said three weeks or possibly uh, a month you know in the first lockdown we didn't know what we know now in the, in, with the benefit of hindsight, we can all go. Oh, we should have we should have been thinking six months to a year ahead, not two months ahead. You know, so we had no idea what we were in for, and it was to use a common term these days, unprecedented. <laughs> unprecedented.
0: Would you have come up with a completely different project? Do you think, had you known what you know now?
1: Um, probably, but not a million miles away because I mean basically you know we came up with the project of making everything to podcasts since then we have discussed um the idea of making the outdoor touring much more viable and much more um user-friendly in a sense so basically turn up with a stage that almost unfolds and you can you know you're, you're kind of ready to go within sort of 30 minutes rather than within two hours um, so that sort of thing, I think, you know, I'm not sure that I would have come up with the bigger plan early on at any point, even if for whatever I knew, because I think one thing led to the other. I think, you know, the first plan, oh, let's do podcasts of these, you know, was a perfectly reasonable plan. And I, you know, and I think it led to the next level. Um, I'm finding it hard to explain why. But I think because I'd always had it in the back of my head that I wanted to do podcasts or radio versions of these plays. And I think I was therefore always going to do that, given the opportunity. And the development of the stage into a much more user-friendly one outdoors isn't actually that um, radical. It's just given the time, how much time we've got to play with these days it's worth doing but you know without that time I you know I wouldn't wouldn't worry about it and it's not something I definitely have to do I'm just now looking with more you know with with more time to spare I'm looking at what can I usefully do that will be of benefit once we come out of this.
0: Talk to a couple of other people throughout these interviews about um, the fact that everybody has gone digital. Whether that be audio play, visual, everybody 's t- putting their work into video format, um, putting it online do you think um, do you think we 've just completely flooded basically the internet with things that people don 't want to see
1: yeah but we 're we're, we're just saving our mental health there 's no other way around it. Who cares whether people watch it or not it 's for me it 's you know, obviously. I'd like people to listen to and watch the things I've done. And that's been of great benefit and an inspiration to me throughout my career. You know, the fact that people actually watch what you do and like hopefully what you do or find it funny, which is particularly important to me. Um, But I think the fact that we're all doing it and probably the audience therefore is reduced in every case by sort of 70% because there's so much of the stuff around the audience is shared around it's it's almost irrelevant it's the fact that we're all those of us who feel the need to be creative um, however pretentious that sounds I don't care really I know that I do need to be creative and productive um, yeah for, for the sake of all of our mental health I think we need to do these things whether there's an audience um, available. I mean, and the plus side is there is more of an audience available because there is nothing available live. So, you know, there is potentially many more people looking digitally for mm-hmm. entertainment or for stories or for whatever.
0: And how, what do you think about um, sort of people paying for content? Because that just hasn't worked, has it for us?
1: Yeah, I don't think it's worked for anybody particularly. At uh, you know the trouble with the internet is that everything's there 's a way of getting everything really cheaply you know you You could listen to a song or an album for a few pence almost <clears throat> whereas you know, when we were kids you 'd have to spend you know five pounds to buy the new album or whatever it was uh, so everything seems really cheap um online if not free so and you 're in your own home, so you kind of feel a bit cheated paying for something when you 're in your own home. If you've gone somewhere, you feel like, oh well, I, I obviously have to pay to get in. Yeah, so I, th- I think it's it's very hard to make money online. I mean, musicians have always, you know, found that and moaned about it, understandably, I suppose. And so have um, filmmakers, you know, who then bring out DVDs, and before they know it. Everybody's downloading them for nothing from, from sort of illegal Russian websites.
0: So, what, what is your outlook at the moment for Hot Buckle? How do you feel? I mean, we, we're, we're now into the, the second wave. We're in the middle of our second lockdown. Um, and it looks like, as you say, potentially nothing's going to be happening until the spring. Are you, how, are you just, how are you feeling generally about sort of Hot Buckle and the future of Hot Buckle?
1: Um, I think that when we come, it's like coming out after a nuclear war um, or a nuclear explosion. Everything will have changed. The landscape will have changed, um, and the you know it's like Trump going into you know in becoming the president. It's is what COVID nineteen is to the world. It's rocked the sort of status quo with something extremely unpleasant. Um, but, you know, up until COVID, we all had our place, um, you know, the national theater did everything it could along with the RSC to kind of close down regional touring theater with their online stuff, but regional touring theater found a way of coping and existing anyway. Um, small touring theater companies like mine found their niche, found the places that would, um, them again and again and you know kept their audiences so we've all had you know we've all had our place and i think when we come out of lockdown a lot of the smaller companies and some of the bigger companies a won't exist or will have to have changed so radically that they're unrecognizable Um, there'll also be people who are young and um you know the risk takers who'll go right we're going to do it at a quarter of the price we're going to do it twice the amount of actors and we're going to just take the world by storm and they're going to sort of blow things out of the water for those of us that have found a financial way of coping um we'll pro- We'll have to adapt and change to to exist in the new world order.
0: Do you think in a way though in some small way that's it's a good thing that that the culture sectors had this shake up?
1: Um, yes, in some small way it is because I think there is is always a danger with you know. Um, any kind of status quo that we all get sort of stale if you like so you know there's no no harm in in having a bit of a shake-up and and changing the goalposts slightly and making people fight for things you know the best kind of art comes out of a struggle be it um, love war or deprivation you know it's sad to say that it you know it's because people have nothing to do but express themselves in some way express their frustration express their sadness um and they find ways of doing it through music and storytelling and you know whatever so um yes there will be there will be great things that come out of this um and i'm not sure hot buckle will be a great thing that comes out of it but we will try and adapt and change and you know be part of the new world order but we'll succeed, time will tell.
0: Going back again to um, what I was saying about how everything's gone digitalized, everything's out there, we're kind of flooding everything. There's also the other problem of, um, as you say, everyone now thinking, right, how do we do outdoor theatre? We've got to start thinking outdoor, outdoor, outdoor. What's that going to do to the theatres then? If we're all adapting to become outdoor um, companies well I
1: mean they've got it I mean you know we've already been speaking to several theaters who are suggesting oh we'll, we'll we'll organize an outdoor performance I think theaters will need to think outside the box too to survive and we've already been speaking to theaters who have suggested we do um outdoor performances where 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 last year we would have done indoor performances so they are suggesting oh well, you know we' we're, we're booking stuff at the local park or we're booking stuff in the local castle or where it is so I think they're you Know they have they still have the marketing facilities, they still got all the data, um, audience databases, etc. Um, they've got the staff, a lot of them are voluntary, but you know, hopefully, those that are still employed are you know used to taking tickets and to organizing large groups of people in a safe way. Um, they've got the technicians, they've got the um, the lights and the PAs, so um they have as much chance of making this work as we do, and they have a place in it just as we do as well.
0: Yeah, and just listening to you talk there as well, maybe, you know, it's a good thing for theatres have to, to have to start reaching out to their communities and collaborating with, you know, the local
1: parks. Well, yeah, the, other, yeah, so the, yeah, the upside of that is it's more visible to the wider community, an outdoor performance in a park. I don't mean they can just see it better. I mean, they just see it at all.
0: So you're feeling, so you're feeling positive about the future of Hot Buckle. You can see, you can well, see we have ve-
1: through. We have very low overheads because we have our rehearsal studios on site, by on site I mean at home, um, and I don't have to pay anyone uh, to keep them on because between tours we don't employ actors, we can't afford to. So we, you know, employ actors um, per tour, for the tour. Um so yeah, our overhead to low. So, you know, we can we can hunker down and be mothballed. It's just what it's gonna look like when we come up over the parapet in, in two twenty one, twenty twenty one and go uh, um and, and try and work out where we're gonna to go tour and you know.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, audiences are going to be a bit um jittery, but they're also desperate for stuff, desperate to kind of you know, people do like going to watch plays and musicals and musicians and, you know, things like that. They, they enjoy the, the looking at real people who are um, vulnerable, who, but yet who strive for excellence and, you know, to entertain or to, to impress or to just to express themselves in a way that's interesting.
0: Um, you've, you did receive some um, self-employment emergency relief, didn't you, from the government?
1: The government gave me eighty percent of that which they perceive that I earn. Uh, so I don't earn a great deal. So I got eighty percent of not a great deal.
0: And is that and was that just a, a one off or does that keep coming?
1: I've been getting it week now. It, it was it was twice off, and I'm hoping for a third off. There's a potential that it might happen again because of this new lockdown hmm. for those of us who are self-employed.
0: Um, there's been a, a, a few people sort of saying. Because I've talked to a lot of people about how the, uh, the inconsistency of how people are paid within the sort of culture industry, um, arts and culture. Uh, and, and I think, you know, we, we as artists have enabled that through accepting work for very little or what have you. What do you think about that? Do you, how, how, is, how can we solve that problem?
1: I don't think we can. And I, I'm, I'm not that worked up about it because most people do what we do because we love doing it and we are driven to do it. It doesn't mean to say everybody's got to pay us to do it or pay us loads of money to do it. You know, I have been uh, fortunate enough to do what I do for my entire working life, but I've never earned very much money, but I'm not bitter about that because I've enjoyed doing what I've been doing. Um, Periodically, Fortunately, I have had, you know, good good pay for the work that I've done or, or pay that's really, you know, really good pay. But most of the time I've had uh, inadequate pay for the work that I've done, but I get more satisfaction from doing what I do um, than a lot of people I know who get paid extremely well for doing something they don't enjoy doing. As an auditioner for actors, because obviously I audition them for my tours, the expectation, um, of young men um certainly because there are more parts and there are fewer of them doing the job as actors their expectations make them arrogant and lazy and i have no respect for that at all i like people who want to do the job regardless of how little or much they get paid who do the job because they enjoy the job the money is just i know we need to we need money to live but you know i don't expect everybody to pay me or anybody else something to do just because they enjoy doing it i expect if if we make it commercially viable and people enjoy it great then we've ticked two boxes but we've only ticked the box that we we enjoy doing it then you know we can't expect to get paid that much it's you know it's 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 very difficult to justify pay for a lot of jobs I'm not saying nobody should get paid, I'm just saying it's difficult to justify why an essential worker in one sphere gets a pittance and an an essential worker in another sphere gets, you know, £250,000 a year or more. Um, So there's never equality in in pay um, and it's not something I dwell on much.
0: Would you agree, though, that there are certain only certain people who can afford to work for very little?
1: If you, it, depends how, it just depends how much you want to do it. I know people who have come from, you know, very sort of uh, meagre backgrounds who make it work and people who come from meagre backgrounds who can't afford to make it work and don't. Two people come out of drama school. One is from a well-off background and one is from a much less well-off background. Um, it's more about aspirations as to whether they succeed as opposed to... They might both earn very little, but it's about whether they believe they should carry on doing this and have the kind of the guts to carry on doing it, regardless of the fact they're not earning very much um, i mean I mean I understand the point I do understand that point. Had I not been supported by my wife and my previous girlfriends, I still would have whole line of them. Um, I still still would have carried on doing what I'm doing regardless.
0: How have you kept yourself uh, motivated and, you know, uh, we, we, you've mentioned sort of mental health quite a bit. How <laughs> have you, um, you fared?
1: Um, I've had good days and bad days and mediocre days. Most days are mediocre. About every third week I go into a bad few days. It seems I'm getting. I'm beginning to see the pattern now. It is quite demoralising and not having a ha, having a definite plan or or a goal, or um, a sort of scale time scale to work to. No deadlines. But I, you know, it does make being creative. I'm going to call it expressive. Being expressive quite difficult because you don't know what you're doing it for. When When's this going to be seen? Who's going to listen to it? Uh, the best thing is, yes, that you're doing it, you're expressing it for yourself, you know, so if I'm doing some writing, then at least I'm getting something off my chest.
0: How, how do you think the government's fared?
1: How do I think they've fared? As any Conservative government would, really. I'm not a particularly political animal, but I'm not particularly keen on conservative republican types um so yeah they just tried to keep the economy and all their big companies and their fat mates going um at the expense of the health of the poorer part of the country's con- poorer parts of the country um and uh, yeah so it was economy uh, before health um and of course therefore health has really suffered
0: What's what's made you the saddest about the epidemic?
1: Um, I feel absolutely devastated for my children um, and all other children of my, you know their age and younger. Really, already the sort of planet was heading towards the sort of cesspit, which I felt ashamed of. And then there's an unprecedented. Um, disease that you know comes across and comes along and and just ravages the world and you can't help feeling it's due to various big countries foreign policy that markets wet markets like that exist so i feel devastated my children don't have that carefree childhood that i had and yeah so i swear that's my my that's what's made me most sad is is the effect it's had on all those innocent young people who are not responsible for the state of the world, but who are going to inherit it.
0: And um, finally then, what what would you like your legacy to be?
1: I want it to be, I want to continue doing what I've done, which is do all the things I love doing and trying to earn money from them, enough money to live and depending on my wife nothing without me she said once
0: (laughs) okay is there anything else you want to say
1: I'm just I'm sorry (laughs) Um, I can honestly say this has affected me mentally much more than I thought it would I'm used to spending a lot of time entertaining myself and by that I don't mean watching the telly. I mean doing things that are productive and you know need to be do need to be done and, and you know tinkering around the house, around the around the around the garden, around the field, uh, doing things towards the next tour. Blah blah blah. You know, I'm used to doing that all the time anyway. So what's what's changed? What has changed is I don't know when I'm doing it for. I suppose there's no timeline.
0: Adrian Prater, thank you so much for joining me and for being my rock. Yay! And for making me laugh.
1: Uh, that's all I'm good for. <laughs> <laughs> and find they enjoy it. But anyway, my point being, it's much more Generally, generally visible have i <laughs> it's much more generally visible uh if it is outdoors because you know people who don't see